and welcome to Freshly Squeezed True Crime. It's a mini. It is a mini. Sue Haley, I'm still in, well, I don't know, are the Everglades in Miami or just outside of Miami? They're outside of Miami. Okay, cool. So I'm no longer in Miami. I've gone a little bit further Okay, more. so you go in along Alligator Alley. Here we go. <laughs> yep. The wildlife and the wide open spaces seems to call out for adventures and particularly no, airboaters. Okay, so I've been in an airboat. I know. It was really fun. I want to go on an airboat. This is the girl who doesn't like nature. <laughs> I know. But it has so much fun. I want to go. Okay. And yeah, like you said, there are alligators galore. That's right. Some of them are said to be the size of small cars. What the fuck? I got that from a source. It's, it's was the was a source a mobster? Um, no, I wrote I read three books to get this. I didn't even look it up online. Okay. Look at you, you're so old fashioned y. I book. <laughs> I open paper. <laughs> I turned pages. I turned many pages in the three <laughs> books that I bought. You're such a relic. So. <laughs> Give me your old timey tale. <laughs> Here we go. Have you heard of the Eastern Airlines Flight 401? No, but that's scary. Pilot Bob Loft, who had more than three decades of flight experience, led the crew of the Lockheed L-1011-1 TriStar on a fateful trip on December 29, 1972. The flight was returning to Miami International Airport from New York City. The crew included First Officer Albert John Stockstill, Second Officer Donald Lewis Repo, and 10 flight attendants on the wide-body aircraft. 10 flight attendants on one flight? It was a big aircraft. Jesus, Okay. Yeah, because uh, this other source says Eastern Airlines Flight 401 left New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport at 9.20 p.m. on December 29, 1972, en route to Miami International. 13 crew members and 164 passengers. Oh, damn. Okay. That's a lot of fucking people. Jesus. Well, the they refer to it as an Airbus. I don't know why. It had 226 seats on it. That's how big this plane That was. is ginormous. Yeah. And it was supposedly a really quiet plane, so the model was nicknamed the Whisper Liner. You imagine something that big, like, being quiet? Ugh. I can't. Okay. In 1972? No. I just think they were just louder before that. Yes. <laughs> this is the quietest we got. So, stock still noticed that the landing gear indicator light had not turned on to show the nose gear was down and locked for landing. They tried cycling the landing gear several times and were put into a holding pattern over the Everglades to see if there could be a way to fix it. The cruising altitude of the pattern was just above 2,000 feet. During the recycling of the gear and the attempt to fix the indicator light, one of the pilots jostled the autopilot control yoke, disengaging the part of the autopilot that maintained its altitude. The plane began a slow, steady descent on its own. So the plane's going slowly down and down, and nobody really realizes what's going on because there's there's no warnings going off. At one point, a proximity warning goes off, and because there's so many other problems going on, they just kind of ignore that alarm <laughs> or don't hear it. Okay. So at one point, Miami tells them, the Miami International tells them to turn around and start coming back in, and then they were like, okay. And then at that point, they notice, like, they're too far down and they cannot pull back up. So 
Flight 401's number one engine hit the ground at a 28-degree angle and sheared off as the plane slided on its belly for... 1,520 feet. The force of the crash shattered the plane into hundreds of pieces, leaving nothing intact but a fragment of the fuselage near the wing and a piece of the tail. Chunks of the plane pinwheeled through the air as 1,600 feet from the crash point, scattering bits of the hull and bodies across the Everglades National Park's vast, muddy, swampy backcountry. My God. Flames and jet fuel filled the Everglades. Stockstill was killed instantly. Robert Loft, the pilot, died while being extracted from the burning wreckage. Don Repo survived for a few days, but died later in the hospital from his injuries before even being able to talk to investigators. Damn. In all, 97 of the 163 passengers died, as well as two of the 10 attendants. It was the second deadliest single aircraft disaster in the United States at the time. One of the stewardess couldn't find a first aid kit, and it was also said, like, she wasn't trapped, but it was impossible to move with so many stunned and injured people and dead bodies all around her. Mm -hmm. So instead, she just tried to keep up morale by starting to sing Christmas carols. And soon everybody else was kind of like joining in. Yeah. What else are you going to do while you just sit there and wait to be rescued? Yep. Nobody could really go anywhere. Remember, also, you're in the middle of the Everglades. Like... Yeah. There's nowhere to go. No. She believes so many people in the back of the plane had survived because they were wearing their seatbelts in in anticipation of the landing that Mm -hmm. they were about to do. So those people had not been thrown from their seats. Half an hour after the crash, they began hearing helicopters approaching. Robert L. Marquise and Ray Dickens, residents who were out hunting frogs after dark in the Everglades, saw the crash. They fired up the airboat motor and within 15 minutes could hear the yelling and screaming of the survivors. Once he could make out people nearby, Robert said everyone was in a state of hysteria. When they spotted the helicopters, they began waving their lights in the air. They helped several relatively unhurt people out of the water and into their airboat. And he said there were dead people everywhere. I don't know how many people drowned. At one point, they were talking about how the airboats just had to, like, go over dead bodies to get in and out of there to rescue people. God. The first to be airborne helicopter was at 11.55. So it was really, like, 10 minutes later. Yeah. The crash site was 18 miles northwest of Miami International and 8 miles north of the Tom Miami Trail, the closest highway. A flood control dike closed... Crossed the Everglades within a few hundred feet of the crash site, though, giving emergency vehicles the ability to get fairly close to the wreckage and transport people out over a bumpy and uneven road. You know how much I love seeing, like, how fast first responders get, so yeah. I went, like, really into it here. Thirteen area hospitals stood ready to take in the injured, with as many as 200 doctors poised to treat them. Another 100 doctors stood by on call, ready to come on if the casualties threatened to overwhelm available emergency and operating rooms. That's awesome. Others rushed supplies to the Coast Guard helipad, including plenty of morphine. The Florida Highway Patrol hit the road to block traffic on State Highway 27, where it joined the Tom Miami Trail, keeping the lanes open for ambulances and other rescue vehicles and diverting traffic. A veritable fleet of airboats called into action by the Airboat club operators took to the waterways leading to the crash site, knowing that they might be the only craft that could actually reach the down jetliner in the backcountry. They turned their motors up full and sped to the site where more than a dozen aircraft had already gathered. 
So the aircraft like gathered in the air because they couldn't land anywhere. There were nearly 200 rescue workers from a dozen agencies working to get survivors out of the Everglades. Private citizens showed up in their swamp boat and provided flashlights and floodlights to the first rescuers who arrived. They remained to assist in finding all the passengers and crew, living or dead, in and around the wreckage. Coast Guard helicopters and Air Force aircraft remained overhead with emergency floodlights blazing, providing illumination. Some were screaming, but could hardly be heard because of the sounds of the helicopters. Helicopters would lift out the most badly injured survivors and whisk them away to hospitals until a system could be worked out to bring victims to the levee road a few hundred miles away. By 2 a.m., nearly everyone who had survived had been found and transported away. The remaining crew quietly switched their mission to body recovery and remained at the site until every victim had been found. This crash produced the second highest death toll of any single airplane commercial accident in the country's history. The remains of Flight 401, the undamaged parts of the aircraft, such as the gears and engine parts, were recycled, either melted down or actually cleaned up as they were used for other parts for other planes. All right. Captain Robert Bob Loft was a jovial man in life. He was a hard worker, and most of all, he enjoyed his work, and everyone knew it, colleagues and passengers alike. Having worked for Eastern for many years, and he was a seasoned pilot years before that, gave him a standard of excellence that naturally stood out. A VP of Eastern Airlines was enjoying one of his employee perks and taking a well-deserved vacation. Of course. Apparently, this gentleman boarded one of the jetliners, a plane identical to the one on Flight 401, with several of the aforementioned recycle parts being recently installed. Oh, my God. What? Like, I never, I don't know. It's like, I understand reusing parts, right? Mm -hmm. But not of, like, something, such a tragic story. They do it all the time. So I didn't say it because I couldn't find verifiable sources, but in the Skyway Bridge, Mm -hmm. there's... Oh, I know. There's stories of pieces from that bus being used and things, but I couldn't find any good I know, it's just, I don't know. It happens all the time. It always creeps me out, though. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I can understand reusing parts, but not if if it's part of something that happened tragically. I know, I know. I, I feel the same way. But, you know, from a financial point of view, like, I, know. I, I get why they do it. So this VP was sitting in the first class section and he was traveling um, from from New York to Miami, like same pathway that the other one took. And he noticed like another employee of the airline, someone dressed as a pilot, because, you know, they all they all get the free yeah. perks of flying for free. So he turns to talk to the pilot and the pilot didn't turn around, just kept staring out the window. And he kept trying to talk to him. But eventually, the pilot turned and the VP recognized Captain Robert Bob Loft. Fuck that. And he immediately was like, what the fuck? And then the pilot, like, disappeared toward his eyes. And you have nowhere to go because you're on a fucking plane. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll sit here for another three hours. Another sighting of the captain was the time he had a conversation with crew members about flight safety and possible problems aboard the aircraft. The ghost covered problems that might take place if the crew didn't follow his advice on safety issues. Well, who would would best know? The crew was so freaked out by this that they canceled the flight. Uh, you guys, (laughs) maybe we shouldn't go. So there was a lot more sightings of Don Repo that were recorded. 
He had been a man of distinction. Years of service and devotion made him the best choice in his profession, and everyone knew it. A lady traveling to Miami thought she was sitting next to an airline employee. He looked extremely pale and sickly, and she asked if he was all right. But the man just stared straight ahead, refusing to answer or acknowledge her in any way. So the lady pushed the button to call over a stewardess who had arrived in time to watch as the man completely disappeared right before her eyes. They said that they had to subdue her. Once the flight was over, though, they took her back to look at some pictures and she identified Dawn Repo from a picture they showed her. Can you imagine any of this happening now? They would they would have <laughs> they would have canceled that flight. They would land it in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. They're going to bake her actor for about three days. Like it's nuts. Just completely nuts the way they handle it now. There, there were other sightings. There was a stewardess that saw him like fixing an oven. There was another stewardess that told that he said, watch out for fire on this plane. Oh, my God. And on the next flight, that plane had a fire. To the captain on another flight, he said, there will be there will never be another crash on TriStar. We will not let that happen. <laughs> Even um, if I had to take the steering wheel myself. So it's all these sightings and stuff like they. So a lot of employees start saying, I saw on repo on my flight i saw the captain on my flight and they're always trying to like there was another one and I, I don't know why i didn't write it in here maybe it's somewhere else and i can't find it but somebody heard some knocking and opened up that that hole to go mm -hmm. down into and when they looked they saw like something had come apart and it, it would have caused the plane to crash or whatever and he saw like when he looked to the side he saw his face that's insane yeah Another crew member saw Repo while they were doing a pre-flight check, and Repo said, don't worry, I already did it. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts were never seen on the same flight, though they were both seen many times by multiple witnesses. They never described them as seeming anything other than solid or real, and many witnesses were passengers that didn't even realize they were talking to ghosts. So, crews that reported these silence were suspended and sent for psychological evaluations. I, w I can see why. Uh-huh. So crew members stopped reporting the apparitions, but the ghosts kept coming and the stories kept going. Eastern Airlines began to puzzle out that the ghost stories only appeared on planes that had received some of the undamaged salvage parts from the Flight 401. Duh. Haunted. The Flight Safety Foundation received so many reports from witnesses that they issued a report to Eastern Airlines stating... The reports were given by experienced and trustworthy pilots and crew. We consider them to be significant. They dismissed the reports and the company would deny the sightings. Unbelievable. And behind the scenes, what they didn't tell anybody is they were quietly removing these parts from all these planes. Yeah, that's a smart move. Because they were trying to catch some people in lies. But no, like the sightings ended up stopping after they were removing pieces. That's incredible. <laughs> so... The ghosts of Flight 401 have become one of the most important talking points when paranormal people are talking about hauntings. It's even being made into a television show, song, and movie. Can you imagine that now? How much money it would make? I know. The crash site itself is also very active with ghostly phenomena and is investigated frequently by those willing to brave the swamps of the Everglades. Lesser known than the ghosts of the flight are the disembodied screams and strange temperature spikes and drops at the site. Shadowy figures are also seen hiding in the darkness. The faces of drowned figures sometimes seem to float up and vanish in the water at the site. 
In May 1996, just a few hundred yards away from the crash site of Flight Flight 401, another plane crashed into the Everglades. Value Jet Flight 592 crashed into the same marsh, killing all 110 passengers and crew on board. Their problems were much like Flight 401 with faulty equipment that led to the crash. Wow. So, yeah, that's my mini. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, when you told about that story, remember how people used to dress back then to get on a flight? Yeah. Like with business suits and your pearls and your dresses. Smart now if you're doing sweatpants. Yeah, you get on there with your joggers and sweatpants. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's uncomfortable as fuck on that flight. And your Crocs not in sport mode so you could take them off faster. Of course. Okay. I was just thinking about that when you were talking about this flight. How people were dressed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where can they buy us? Go to our website, fstcpod.com, for all of our stuff. And, Suheili, this is the last... No, it's not. No, it's one not. One of the last times I'm going to ask you. What are we squeezing? The ingredients for a witch's cauldron. Which are? I don't know. Got to be like... Read Macbeth. Newt. Okay. Read Macbeth. They'll list all 20 ingredients, including toe of frog. (laughs) Bye. Bye.